Today's scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 to 11 and verses 23 to 28, and from Acts chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 to 11. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and told it to his brothers, and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Genesis chapter 37, verses 23 to 28. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and mirth, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Acts chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. May God help us to hear his word. Thanks, Kate. Good morning, Grace Baptist Church and visitors. My name is Yanadi, and I'm a, a staff member here in GBC. We are now in chapter 42 and 43, uh, still in the story of Joseph, as part of our sermon series from the book of Genesis. So far, we have seen how the holy and loving God has been working in and through people who are committing sins against one another and suffering the consequences of sins and ultimately committing sins against God. Sounds exactly like each one of us, isn't it? We have seen Reuben, the firstborn, committing incest with his own father's concubine. We have seen Simeon and Levi deceiving and then slaughtering an entire village of Shechem. Both of these atrocities are something that Joseph witnessed. But one atrocity 
that Joseph not only witnessed but experienced is one where he was by the ten brothers, mistreated, almost killed, sold as a slave to Egypt for money, misrepresented as having already died to his father who adores him, and lastly, forgotten. All these things are possibly Joseph's last recollection of his family, especially the ten brothers. However, despite all these things that we would typically consider as misfortunes, it was God's good hand that is at play. Last week, we saw how Joseph ascended to become the number two in Egypt, literally the Lord of the land. The interpretation of Pharaoh's dream as given by God through Joseph has come into reality. The seven plentiful years have passed, and now the years of famine have arrived. And this famine has not only affected Egypt, but all the earth, including Canaan, where Joseph's family lives. The big idea for today is God's grace can be tough. It confronts people with their sin and transforms them. And the outline is first, tough grace convicts deeply and calls for repentance. Second, tough grace begins transformation. We will see that our passage today is the great reversal of chapter 37, when Joseph was hated by his ten brothers and sold as a slave to Egypt. Possibly, his robe of many colors has now been upgraded to the amazing Technicolor dream coat, royal, made of linen, and adorned with gold chains and other precious ornaments. Let us come to God and pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, you are the God of righteousness and grace. We thank you for your word and Jesus. Illumine our minds, quicken the dead, press your word in our affections that it produces fruits. Do this for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Tough grace convicts deeply and calls for repentance. Let us turn our Bible to Genesis chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who, who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. We open with a serious threat, not only to God's people, but most importantly, to God's promise to preserve His people. Famine threatens to wipe out God's people. Here we see the irony of the sons of Israel, the ten, who like to pasture and adventure as far as Dothan and interact with foreign traders as when they captured and sold Joseph in chapter 37. They should be more familiar with where to get food especially during famine. But they are somewhat unconcerned about protecting their own families, let alone their preservation as God's people. So Jacob rebukes them to do something so that God's people may live and not die. But Jacob is still the same old, playing favorite with the sons of his favorite wife, Rachel. After Joseph is gone, now it's Benjamin. And this theme of favoritism will increasingly get more 
intense in this episode and next week. As the ten brothers are confronted with their past sin of responding to favoritism with wickedness. Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my Lord, your servants here come to buy food. We are are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, Let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. Basically, earlier, one person returned to collect the youngest brother and nine remains in the prison. And now, one remains in the prison and nine can go back to collect the youngest brother. And they did so. Verse 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Here, we return to Joseph, who is the Lord of the land in Egypt, and outwardly perceived as a pagan Egyptian. This is the first time that Joseph is said to remember his own dream of about 20 years ago. The big mystery for us is, why does Joseph treat his ten brothers 
roughly and pretentiously. Firstly, his dream is being fulfilled, but only partially. There are supposed to be 11 stars bowing down to him, not just 10. So who is the one missing? It is Benjamin, his only full brother. Knowing his father Jacob's tendency to show favoritism towards Rachel's sons and his brother's capability to harm an entire village as well as their own family members, what happened to Joseph 20 years ago could very well have happened to Benjamin. Did they harm my dearest brother Benjamin? Did they harm my father Jacob? This must be some of the questions that come to his mind. So far, Joseph has not only become a dreamer, but also a reliable dream interpreter. Although he might have known that the doubling of his own dream means that the thing is fixed by God, he does not become passive. Instead, he has to ensure the well-being of Benjamin and Jacob, so he actively pursues it. Secondly, Joseph ought to test if his ten brothers have repented of their sins and consequently transformed. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 tells us to test the spirits because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Throughout his career as a dream interpreter, Joseph has been making God's name famous, essentially evangelizing. This is in contrast to the ten brothers who are unconcerned about the preservation of their own family and obviously here in not acknowledging God in relation to their family's special status. When speaking to this apparent Egyptian ruler, it is good that Joseph is testing his brothers because his concern is God's glory. And that includes God's glory through the preservation of his people, all 12 of them, not just 10. If the 10 have not been fully transformed, the 10 may survive, but at the expense of the complete 12. Lastly, Joseph experienced tough grace in the preceding years of slavery and imprisonment. Of course, the grace for Joseph is not one that makes him repent of wickedness, no, not that kind, but rather one that causes suffering that produces endurance, that produces character, that produces hope. Indeed, there is grace that is gentle. There is grace that is uplifting. But there is also grace that is tough. The kind of grace that breaks us, but not to leave us in such a state, but rather to bring us to a state where we cannot help but to come to God for Him to reform us. I understand that in our current culture, we are cornered to think that the only way to be winsome is to opt for the gentle or uplifting approach. Gentle or uplifting approach may very well be the norm, and rightly so. But we miss the full spectrum of sanctifying grace if we ignore tough grace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 urges us to help the weak, encourage the faint-hearted, admonish the idle. Brothers and sisters, how has our approach to God's grace been? As how tough grace has brought a righteous Joseph to a place where he becomes a blessing to the whole world, fulfilling God's covenant with Abraham, I'm sure Joseph is hoping that the same tough grace will bring his wicked brothers to repentance. What Joseph is doing here is tough but restorative, not punitive. We may have to be extra careful 
and prayerful before exercising tough grace. But let me urge us to not diminish tough grace for the sake of being superficially accepted by the culture. In doing so, we may unintentionally dull God's means of grace. Here, when Joseph accuses his ten brothers to be spies, we can see a reversal of chapter 37, when the brothers accuse Joseph of spying on them to report their misconduct to their father. Their claim of being honest men is also at best dodgy, given their track records. None of them is even willing to either become the one sent back to bring back Benjamin or the one left behind in prison as the collateral to bring back Benjamin. But as Joseph presses them more and more with tough grace, they start to feel some guilt. However, we know that guilt is useless if it doesn't bring one to God and ultimately repentance. In this entire episode, it was Joseph, the supposed pagan Egyptian, who first mentions God, which reveals the ten brothers' ignorance of God up to this point, that a pagan remembers God, but they don't. Only after that, they are reminded of their mistreatment of Joseph. Perhaps being in Egypt, they are reminded that Egypt was the destination of Joseph's sale to slavery. Perhaps they feel that being in the same land, there is a reckoning for their heinous crime committed against Joseph. They have been bluffing their father about Joseph for about 20 years now, and it still lies heavy for them. This guilt weighs them down so much that what is supposed to be blessed, generous provisions of food and money feels like a curse instead. Brothers and sisters, surely this, this is something that we experience also. Guilt so heavy, it either weighs us down or force us to flee from confronting it at the first sign of its mention. If you are a Christian, don't delay. Come near to God. It is uncomfortable. It often feels shameful, but you know that He is our only hope. If you are a young man, a young woman, I hope you will remember this. I hope this does not happen, but some of you will commit grave sins in your youth. You may or may not be caught to suffer the consequences. As you grow older, your conscience may be pricked by guilt. My prayer for you is that you will remember this God of Israel, and that you will run to Him for rescue through Christ. If you are not a Christian, I'm glad that you are here with us. My prayer is for you to confront your guilt, your sins, and come to God through Jesus and witness how He takes away your guilt and sins from you. Thankfully, Joseph's ten brothers are driven to despair that leads them to remember God. Finally, the people of God remember their God. We can see signs of repentance among them now. Beloved, I have been talking so much about tough grace. If you have been sitting comfortably, grinning in your hearts, thinking that, See, I'm justified to test my difficult wife or to give a well-deserved cold shoulder to this certain brother who hurts my precious feeling five years ago. I'm talking to you now. You may be justified, but 
Are you? Let's now consider Joseph again. Throughout all this, Joseph is righteous. Calling Joseph righteous does not imply that he is sinless. As God's word revealed to us earlier, Joseph's motive is, mo- is likely to ensure the well-being of Benjamin and Jacob and to lead his ten brothers to genuine repentance. In verse 18, we witness Joseph realizing he has placed an unreasonably severe burden on the ten brothers by only allowing one person to bring Benjamin back, he repents of it. Sending back nine allows a higher chance of survivability and more provisions to be brought for their families back in Canaan. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 43 tells us, You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. Joseph's fear of God and continuous repentance reveal that he is indeed a righteous man with a righteous motive. We also see Joseph weeping. Most probably he weeps upon the recollection of his sale to slavery, learning that his oldest brother Reuben intended to protect him and the fact that he needs to continue with his pretension to ensure the well-being of Benjamin and Jacob, although his conscience is pricking him. Also, Joseph continues to give provisions for the ten brothers, not begrudgingly, but generously. So brothers and sisters, are you still justified with your tough grace? Do you have a holy motive? Do you weep for the person? Are you generous to the person? Are you testing or punishing? Yes, tough grace is permissible, but it is not generally the norm. So when we do, we have to think long and hard before committing to it. So that in displaying tough grace to others, we ourselves don't fall into temptations and sin. Verse 29. Verse 29. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest brother is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. Earlier was only one person, now every one of them. And when they, they and their fathers saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my grey hairs with sorrow to show. Indeed, Jacob has suffered so much in the past decades. We cannot discount that 
and we should sympathize with him. But it will be remiss if we don't acknowledge Jacob's still stubborn favoritism. When asked to give up his favoritism of Benjamin, he resigns to self-pity, unwilling to be corrected by his community. I'm thinking of some of you, some of us, who may be okay with superficial relationships, but avoid deep discipling and accountable relationships. Brothers and sisters, GBC must become a community that seeks for the sanctification of one another. Be comfortable with pressing one another and being pressed by one another. Not only about the nice things of the gospel, but especially about how the gospel addresses our particular areas of sin struggles. The response of a Christian to this challenge is not, ah, everyone struggles with sins anyway. Such is the response by worldly people who are immune to gospel correction. Instead, if you are a Christian, your response should be, I struggle with sins, I will see how my brother or sister can help me to be holy. My brother or sister struggles with sins, I will see how I can help him or her to be holy. Let's stop with our self-protection, self-defense, and self-pity. And let's start with others' sanctification. Let's make GBC God's means grace for our continual repentance. Tough grace begins transformation. Let's now turn to chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the, ma- the man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel, Jacob, said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him, if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame forever." If we had not delayed, we, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the men, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sex. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the man took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before 
Joseph. Some quick observations from this passage, which are reversals from chapter 37. In the original language, the word money in chapters 42 and 43 here is the same exact word as the word silver in chapter 37 when Joseph was sold for 20 shekels of silver. What used to be a profit money of selling Joseph has now become a blood money that haunts them back and ought to be presented to Joseph. And Joseph, as Joseph was taken into slavery by traders who were carrying gum, balm, and myrrh to Egypt in chapter 37, here, the ten brothers are now taking Benjamin to Egypt while carrying, among other things, gum, balm, and myrrh to be presented to Joseph. But the most important of all, Judah, who was the instigator to sell Joseph to Egypt for some profit money in chapter 37, he is now the one who guarantees the life of Benjamin with his own. But not only with his own life, but he mentions that he will bear the blame forever if he does not return Benjamin to his debt. Implying that, Judah offers himself and his line of descendants as the collateral for Benjamin's return. What a transformation in Judah. Likewise, Jacob finally shows some transformation perhaps partially as pressured by the worsening famine, but this tough grace has allowed him to let go of his grip on favoritism. Judah's timely reminder to Jacob to let go of Benjamin so that God's people may live and not die may have been Jacob's needed wake-up call. As a result, Jacob is finally able to Pray to God Almighty, El Shaddai, of his grandfather Abraham. Utter blessings of God's mercy for his 11 sons. And entrust his life and destiny to God. Verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The men did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He, the steward, replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I receive your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. 
And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he saw the place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. After what is supposed to be a situation of retribution, the brothers receive grace after grace. Even when it's a mixture of tough grace in the previous chapter and gentle grace in this chapter. Here, even the Egyptian steward of Joseph acknowledges the God of Joseph's brothers, even specifically the God of their father, even uttering shalom, peace to you, a strong Hebraic utterance. Remember that Egyptians, by default, believe in multiple gods, plural, not in the one true God, singular. This proves that Joseph has been the influencer, not only in his home, as seen by the Hebrew names of his two sons mentioned last week, but even beyond his home. Joseph evangelizes as a son and brother in Canaan, as a slave in Potiphar's house, as a prisoner in the pit, as an inmate in Pharaoh's prime court, and even as the lord of the land in Egypt's secondary court, in lows and in highs. Christians, are we evangelizing wherever we are? God may use our evangelism as a channel of His mercy, His shalom, to people who will receive His mercy and be transformed. From here on, what the brothers receive is shalom after shalom. Verse 27, Joseph inquired about their welfare, about their shalom, and said, Is your father well? Is your father shalom? Isn't this wonderful? The most important thing here is the complete fulfillment of Joseph's dream. All 11 stars finally bow down to him. This happens as God's means of provisions for all of them. It was God's grace to them through Joseph, but not only fills their stomachs, but more importantly, transforms their lives to holiness. Brothers and sisters, we almost come to the end of our passage today, but before that, I want to make sure that we pause and reflect what we have read so far. We have read about tough grace. We have read that tough grace sometimes causes the feeling of guilt, especially when indeed there are sins in our lives that we have not addressed and resolved. If this is where you are at right now, let me encourage you to address it and settle it. Both with the person whom you have offended and especially with God. Call the person, ask him or her to meet up and humble yourself to achieve reconciliation. 
There is God's grace when you feel guilty. It is God's grace because it is an opportunity to apply what Christ has done for you on the cross, that you have indeed been forgiven. And because of that, you ought to seek reconciliation with the people whom you have offended. You ought to repent. That the grace of Christ be magnified in your life, that you experience the forgiveness of Christ manifested, and through your life, that people witness the grace of Christ in the transformation of your life and the reconciliation of your relationship. Verse 32. They, the, the servants, serve him, Joseph, by himself, and them, Joseph's brothers, by themselves, and the Egyptians who are with him, with Joseph, by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat down before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. The story could have ended in the fulfillment of Joseph's dream. But as we recall, the brothers have not recognized the true identity of this lord of the land, and they have not reconciled. So there will be one final escalation of testing the ten brothers of their response to favoritism. Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. That will be next week. But isn't it amazing that despite the cultural and religious restrictions for them from eating together, portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, there is a line of grace that flows from the table of the Lord of the land towards the table of the undeserving foreigners who are supposedly punished for what they have done to the Lord of the land. Even Joseph himself is a line of grace from God to Joseph's brothers who are terrible sinners. Because Joseph himself has experienced God's wonderful grace. That's why he is willing to become a channel of God's wonderful grace, despite his brother's refusal to fit him in the pit when he was captured by them in chapter 37. Non-Christians here, I'm speaking to you. Despite the natural gap between God and us sinners that prevents us from approaching God in a way pleasing to Him, a line of grace has flowed from the table of God to the table of us who have offended God again and again and again. That one and only line of grace is Jesus Christ. But unlike Joseph, who still has doubts and pretensions, Jesus lived the life we are all supposed to live, perfect and blameless. Unlike Joseph, who still needs grace, Jesus only gives grace by willingly taking on our sins on, and the consequences of our sins by receiving the righteous wrath of, of God for us when He hangs on the cross and died. But He rose again victoriously, defeating death, that whoever believes in Him will receive grace that saves and purifies. Isn't it amazing that this Jesus is the descendant of Judah, who placed His own life and His line of descendants as the guarantee for Benjamin's life. What Judah promised to 
for Benjamin has ultimately been fulfilled in Jesus for all repentant sinners. Jesus became the collateral for our new life if only you are willing to trust him with your life. Judah and Jesus are separated by 2,000 years and this is not by accident. This happened and can only happen because God is orchestrating all things to happen according to His good saving design. Perhaps you have never been in a famine situation, so there is no need for you to confront your sin. My prayer is that you need not wait for a famine situation when you can confront your sin right here and now while you can. The, the next famine situation may strike you dead in a moment, leaving you no chance to examine yourself. Now God is gently nudging you, be it through gentle grace or tough grace, to come to Him through Jesus, who has become the sacrificial substitute for sinners, to receive what sinners like you and I justly deserve, so that He can bestow upon us the freedom He rightly deserves as a grace for us. God's revelation through Joseph's dream, which is fulfilled in Joseph becoming a lord, a type of king, rightly called his brothers to bow down to Joseph. God's revelation through the scriptures, promises, and prophecies, which is fulfilled in Jesus becoming the Lord, the King is now calling all of us to bow down to Him in worship. So I urge you, friends, come to Jesus today and you will enjoy the perfect meal with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when He comes again and He will surely come again. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, in our tough times, help us to come near to you and find your grace there. Help us to confront our sins with the grace that Jesus has bestowed upon us. May all of us here see Jesus as the gracious God, find him worthy, and desire to follow and be like him. Glorify yourself as you purify the church of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.